Hello, and welcome to Literary Work in Progress, fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Dan, and I sleep on my tummy looking to the left at my fan. <laughs> I'm Kristen, and I'm currently sitting in front of a microphone. I'm Caitlin, and I have super curly brown hair. I'm Cameron, and I hate mowing the lawn. <laughs> is that a concrete detail? I don't, I don't think it is. is. No, I was giving you an example of what a concrete detail is not, totally intentionally. See, this is a really good way to segue into what we're talking about. We all shared concrete details about ourselves, and Cameron didn't. So we are talking about how to ground ourselves at the beginning of a story without confusing our readers. So when I say hate, what does that mean to you? Detest. The way I feel about vegetables. A little bit too much about Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) Never enough. You'll never know enough. (laughs) Do I hate mowing the lawn like how I hate going to the dentist, or is it like how I hate getting my arm chopped off? (laughs) I hate it when that happens. (laughs) If you hate getting your arm chopped off as much as you hate mowing the lawn, the two things are linked. Like, you have backstory. (laughs) (laughs) As, As said, it's not necessarily linked, though. So the question is... What exactly does it mean? So part of the point is you use grounding details and you can expand I hate mowing the lawn into something that carries more meaning. So, for example, rather than saying I hate mowing the lawn, you could show a character mowing the lawn and the consequences of that hating. Like having to mow the lawn later in the day because they avoided doing it earlier and now they can't hang out with friends. So that shows maybe they only hate mowing the lawn because they're lazy and they don't think ahead well. Or maybe you could show them mowing the lawn and stepping on a fire ant mound and having itchy bites on their foot for the next month. And you can see, well, maybe they hate it because they live in Texas and their lawn is covered in landmines. And now we know there's, a lot about Cameron. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a lot of truth there. <laughs> so I really like traveling. And I have this problem where when I... I think it's a problem everyone has. But when I don't know what people are saying, I feel really lost and really confused. And so we went to Slovakia over the summer and... My mom speaks Slovakian and no one else in my family does. And so it was a very disorienting experience just because I was surrounded by so much I didn't understand. I didn't understand the custom. I didn't, the cultures. I didn't understand the language. I didn't really understand what food, like, I was supposed to be eating or when or how I was supposed to have my arms, like, at the table. There was just, like, a lot of stuff I didn't know. And this metaphor is going to get away from me really fast, but... (laughs) I feel like at the start of a book, it's like you're in a foreign country and you don't speak the language and you don't know what's going on because you're being introduced to a whole new world you've never seen before. And just like on any particular vacation that you're on, you need someone who knows the area to lead you around. You need details that you can understand in order to help you understand the stuff that you can't understand. And so I think a lot of times at the beginning of books, we run into a problem where we're given too much that doesn't make sense and not enough that does. So one of my favorite books is The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness. And to anyone who's read it, you know it's amazing and everyone should read it, but you also know that it was really hard to get into at the beginning because there was so much that you didn't understand. And so I think one thing that Patrick Ness does really well in that book is that he incorporates details that we can relate to and understand, like a boy's relationship with his dog or an angry teenager who doesn't want to be doing chores. That's stuff that I get, even if I don't understand, like, why everyone can hear each other's thoughts or what the heck a spackle is, that sort of thing. And of course, you want to have enough, well, many stories like to have enough in the beginning to grab your attention and say, oh, this is how I'm going to be different. But uh, if you are a bit too abstract, a bit too, not as many 
details that you're familiar with, you can easily get your reader lost and then they don't want to read your book and you're, you've gone nowhere. If it becomes a chore to wade through things and if it takes more than a few seconds to make connections, it's automatically going to lose readers. I actually went to China with my parents this summer and I was the only one in the group who spoke Chinese. Well, my three younger sisters who are Chinese speak Chinese. We adopted them when they were even in their teens, but they are also still teenagers and not really interested in helping my parents figure out what's going on. <laughs> and so it was my job to go through and translate. And it's interesting because I remember, this is probably silly to be adding to your oh, metaphor. No, it's great. interesting because I remember the first time I went to China going and talking to a gym teacher who was telling us all about how he was going to teach us Tai Chi, but he, I just thought he was yelling at me the whole time because I didn't speak <laughs> Chinese. He was just like, I'm going to do this and this and this. And I had no idea what he's saying. And it just sounds so different from my language. And I had no idea how to understand the inflections of what he was saying or, or why he would be saying, why he was even talking to me. I had no idea. And then to see my mother go through that same experience when we're walking through a market and the lady's trying to sell her something, she just thought the lady was yelling at her. Oh and I was like, no, no, no. Oh, she's saying that you're very pretty and she wants to sell you this thing. <laughs> yeah. And so I think it can be jarring like that where you're like, I am being bombarded with this information that I have no way to process because not only is it another language practically, I mean, if you think about high fantasy where people are talking about creatures that don't actually exist, they're abstract enough that you have to spend so much time just describing them that you're lost by the end because... We don't know why they're relevant. Well, and even in contemporary novels, I think you run into that problem because a lot of times the characters are in situations you'll never be in or they're from cultures that are different than your own and you need something to make it make sense. You have to have a translator, really. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons that own voices and we need diverse books is being so not picky, but there there's a whole lot more accountability right now yeah, because no, the tour guide needs to be one that actually knows what's going on. If when I was in China, I was translating for my mother, but I was just making it up. Like <laughs> it, it wouldn't have helped anybody. It would have been the beginning of a really bad comedy. Movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Really good. The movie Life is Beautiful. That was so good. But that's on purpose. That's on purpose. (laughs) And I don't know that that counts as comedy. That one's really sad by the end. Yeah. Two-thirds comedy. It's comedy in the face of tragedy. Uh, It's so good. Everyone should watch that. Watch Life is Beautiful. It's really good. There are a couple of ways that you can use to help people with abstraction to they're in, when they're in this new land. One of the best examples I can think of is The Hobbit, where you start out with Bilbo, who wakes up in the morning, he reads the paper, he has his afternoon tea later on, he lives in a home, it's a Hobbit home, but it's still something we're very familiar with, and it's only later on in the story that we meet the elves and the trolls and the orcs and the dragon, and by that time, we've come from a place we know and we've gone into places we don't know. So we don't start out confused. There's a really great emotional resonance in that too, because he has all of these dwarfs come to his house. And can you imagine if someone just came up to your house and was like, I'm supposed to be here and I'm going to eat all of your food. And, and the like that of a college student. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so not only are the concrete details very specific and relevant to people who are reading the book and grounding, like even the emotional experience, people can put themselves in Bilbo's shoes, even if he's a little bit cranky and stuff. Like it's easy to identify with him. I think we need to be careful not to equate having a translator with having like a character necessarily or narrator yeah yeah because really it's in the details not so much in the characters that will help 
readers understand better what's going on. Things like relationships between people, like we were saying, or just picking the right details to focus on, I think is essential. Like the thing you start your story with, it's there for the whole book. And that's, that's your introduction to them. And really first, what is it? What first is that? impressions. First impressions. I was going to say first introductions. And I was like, <laughs> you only get introduced one time typically. So <laughs> Yeah, it's all about first impressions. So let's talk a little bit about how to do this. Okay. Cameron has the answer. (laughs) Part of the deal when you're writing about anything is that human language is inherently ambiguous. So any two people reading the same story are going to have slightly different visions of what is going on in that story. So the key is not to try to describe everything so specifically that everyone sees the exact same thing. So for example, like the most concrete detail I could come up with, we'd say... And he held a three centimeter by three centimeter by three centimeter cube of titanium. That is incredibly specific and carries a very specific meaning. It's also more specific than you probably need. So that's why we were going to use the term rounding detail when you just say he held a fist-sized cube of metal and it was heavy. Generally, that's grounding enough that most people are going to know what that means. So, for example, you don't have to say he ran across the yard at two meters per second pace. You can say he jogged across the yard. Two meters per second? Sounds like a math problem. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. At the same time, what you don't want to say necessarily is he floated across the yard like a butterfly in spring. That doesn't actually necessarily... Are you describing his pace, or did he literally float? This can be, like, especially if you're writing a, a fantasy setting, you got to be careful. Like, you're saying he flew across the room. Did he fly across the room, or did he fly across the room? It's an actual possibility. It's an actual possibility, <laughs> so you have to be careful. Fly, you fools. Was he telling him to run or to take the eagles? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does he mean? So earlier when I did the, I said, I hate mowing the lawn, that's not the most concrete detail in the world. You get the general idea about what it means, but you can, you can sort of be more useful. So it's not necessarily a laundry list of, hello, my name is so-and-so. I am 17 years old. This is what I want from life. I am not an expert poet, but uh, I've talked with some really good ones, and they said that while writing poetry, strangely enough, the more specific you are, the more applicable your experience is. So instead of talking about, say, a summer day, you can talk about lying on the grass, um, watching someone fly a kite. If you choose just any details, then that is distracting. If they're details that actually inform, like you don't necessarily know the street name that you're walking down unless it's an important street that will come back up. Or you don't need to know every character you bump into's backstory unless that character needs a strong enough introduction that the reader will remember them later. I think setting is really, it's something that needs a bit of grounding detail because like it doesn't matter if you're in like a contemporary setting or if you're in a fantasy setting or if you're like super bizarre, like... I don't know, cubist setting. Like I, <laughs> I need, I need some sort of detail about, look, this is a street or like here are some trees or whatever it is I'm supposed to be picturing. I think it's really important to have some grounding detail there because it's really easy to get lost in the setting of an unfamiliar story. I think a lot of times that's especially, at least for me, that's especially important if you're doing a fantasy setting, because especially if you're a new writer and you're showing your stuff off, a lot of people write fantasy settings that seem really, really, really similar to each other. So in order to stand <laughs> out, for me, I really like to see when you get grounding details that show how your world is different from everyone else's. On a more concrete set of things, every single book, you need to know where your character is, mm-hmm. where the people slash things are around them in order 
for anything to happen. Because if you're like standing in a cloud of ambiguous terms and you have no idea where the person is, it's really hard to concentrate on anything else because you're still trying to figure out, well, is he sitting down? Is he in a forest? Is he at home asleep in bed? Is this a dream? You need details that put us in a specific place that allow us to see kind of where we are. And how the character moves through it. So blocking as well is something you really need grounding details for. Don't argue at home. Argue in the entryway with the storm door flapping in a uh, hurricane. Cameron did this recently. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> yeah, we're, you thought you were learning a lot about me, but this is really Cameron's time to shine. I think a way that people trip up is navel-gazing, yes. which is when you go inside the character's head and have them think about something for a while, or have them be emotional about something for a while, where you're not giving concrete physical details that keep them in the scene with other readers, or other readers, other people <laughs> in the scene. So you can have lots and lots and lots of like pages of just, I'm thinking in my head, processing what's going on instead of interspersing it with blocking. And then you don't actually know what's going on while this person is thinking. Mm-hmm. They're just floating in limbo somewhere. And we want to let the reader know these people are real characters. They have thoughts and feelings and worries, but it can very easily end up with their thoughts being a ghost in space somewhere, and where are we now, and what's going on? Those thoughts and feelings need to be grounded in a physical reality. Mm-hmm. The key here is balance. Some of this can be fixed when you're revising. This is yes. And so don't worry about it the first time you're drafting something, especially if you're a new writer. Like, just get the words on the page. Quick shout out to Revision. You're awesome. Good job, <laughs> Good job Revision. <laughs> Thanks to Sidewalks for keeping me off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> One of the purposes of this podcast is we read people's submissions and we discuss them here on the show. And one thing that we do, the model that we use for writing groups, you can find what works for yourself, is we spend a couple of minutes to talk about positives and then we spend the rest of the time on things that deserve a second look. So not telling people how to write their book, but what we think they were trying to accomplish and what wasn't as effective. This submission is about the character Logan, who can see things that other people cannot see and how the visions have been getting stronger this one particular day. One thing that I liked about the submission is there are a lot of good descriptions, such as we have a wimpy winter sun. How many of us have been out on a sunny day in winter where it's not warm at all, even though the sun is shining right on you? And I was able to connect to that. I understood it. It was a concrete detail. I thought it had really good mood language. I feel like like this whole submission, the main character Logan is kind of getting like increasingly like horrifying hallucinations, essentially. And I feel like they nailed the horror tone because there were some really creepy stuff where like this person's voice starts warping and her hair froths over and her face just changes. I was freaked out. So I thought they did a good job. Yeah. It does a really good job of, of showing you why seeing things other people can't see would be more than just disconcerting. Something I really liked about the submission is I think it's nailing the YA voice. Like going back to Wimpy Winter Sun, like that says a lot about the character too and the way they see the world. The first few paragraphs, like Kristen was saying, are just a great launch pad into the action. I feel like at the beginning of a story, you either launch straight into a scene or people have like a couple of introductory paragraphs where we're not quite there yet. We're giving a couple of relevant details and then we jump right in. And I feel like this one 
I wasn't bored by those beginning paragraphs that got me into the story. The premise is really interesting, too. So with that, do we want to move to things that need a second look? I actually, going off of those introductory paragraphs, I felt like I missed where we started the story. There was this weird in-between moment where I wasn't sure if something was actually happening. We start with Logan running through the trees with his running buddy, and then he talks about going to school, and then I'm not sure if he's actively going to school or if he's telling me about going to school. And then we're at school and he's talking to this person and then she's not at school. And so I wasn't really sure where we were. I was missing those concrete details that put me firmly in his space because I wasn't sure if he was telling me something about his life or if he was actually living it. I I had problems because, like we were saying earlier, I felt like the really concrete details that we were getting were ones that we didn't need. So, like, in the opening paragraph, they're talking about Logan's mom's busted up outback as we drove to Butel's Grocery on Yellowstone Parkway for milk and bread. So that's a lot of detail, and I thought because there was so much of it that it was going to be important, and it wasn't really. It could have been simplified to something... Less specific. I liked the busted up outback. I did like that too, but like Butel's grocery on whatever street. Yeah, like, I wasn't quite sure. I don't know like, if I, I need felt that. Like we were going to come back to it. So I think, was I think those are examples of details that are nominally extremely concrete, but because none of us are from this town, giving us the street name doesn't mean anything. Right. It's just extra yeah. detail that's confusing. Yeah. But if it's important, then like I'm fine with it being there. But from these like 10 pages, it doesn't it's seem important. The, the very details that I think are very beautifully described, like my desk turned into the warm satin flank of a broad horse's back. That's a beautiful description. But the character changes location. Logan moves three times during this submission. And each time it was just, he just kind of floated into a new scene and he floated out of the scene. And Logan was actually something that was confusing for me because... For about three pages, I had no idea if the narrator was a girl or a boy, and I then I thought he was a girl as well. But yeah, I mean, I guess usually you assume that the character you're reading about is your own gender, but that seems guys to be. In the room assumed, yeah, assumed it, was it wasn't girl, until so. page four when a person literally says, "You'll be sorry all your life, boy," right. that I knew Logan was a boy. So I think it's with something like that can be a little hard to nail down exactly what's causing that. But an example that occurred to me is that there's an instance where at school there's a girl that's bullying Logan. Normally there's a lot of social context that would accompany a girl bullying a boy that we just don't get. So normally there would be more reactions if that's what was going on. But there's no lampshading of why we just brush it off or whatever. Another thought was flow. So we have this very disconcerting day where Logan keeps saying freaky stuff and he gets home and he meets with Lil Seamus and they have a sort of scuffle, this lighthearted scuffle when it took me out of how this is the freakiest day in a long time in Logan's life. I think we all agree that the story has a really creepy tone until he gets home and then all of a sudden well, the, the, the balloon just pops and we're just like, hey, wait, what? This well, all right, with the family, and we're happy, and okay. I don't know that they're happy well, yet. It's a very... Str- status quo? No, no, it's a really strange dynamic between everyone, because I feel... I felt like Lil and Logan didn't really get along, and that, like... So I couldn't tell if I was supposed to be reading their relationship as something, like, healthy, or if I was supposed to be reading it as, like, wow, this girl's kind of creepy, and he's kind of creepy, and they're being creepy together now and scaring Logan's <laughs> mom. Like, So I, I had a hard time getting a handle on the relationship between these three people, and I don't know, I guess, why it was in such a strange state at that point. 
Would you say though that despite being strange, see, I don't know, I don't know. To me, it just didn't, it didn't feel creepy. Maybe I'm just too creepy for it to feel creepy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this really is the podcast where we find out all about. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that it was going for creepy. It was just disconcerting. I think another thing that kind of struck me as as difficult about getting through these pages is that it was really hard to see Logan doing anything. He's being very reactive through this whole thing. It's hard to see him pro-tagging, as it were, because he sees something and then runs from it, and then he sees more of that thing that I don't understand and then runs from it again. And there's no explanations and there's no consequences. And while we get lots of hints that this happened to his dad and it's bad, there was nothing. Like, I don't understand what the stakes are. I don't understand why it keeps happening or why why he doesn't do something different to make it stop happening. Or, I don't know, just nothing changed. There was 10 pages of the same thing and I didn't understand the thing. I think it's worth noting that there are books that can get away with that. Like... Like, The Knife of Never, of Never Letting Go was really hard for me to get into because it was so confusing at the beginning. But there were a lot of details that, like, kind of forced me to, like, push through because I wanted to know the answers. I had just enough of an idea of the stakes that I was okay not knowing them entirely. And Well, that book is really grounded in his relationship with Ben, uh-huh. with his dad figure. Yeah, it with his dog, Manchie. Yeah, his dog. We know, like, where he is. Yeah. We understand, like, his relationship with that creepy boy who's Uh, mean to him. Freaking Davey. Yeah. (laughs) So there's lots of concrete detail that gets you through, like, the noise part of it. Yeah. In that book, everyone can hear each other's thoughts and doesn't explain that. It just, it's actually represented in drawings. Yeah, graphically. It's so cool. It's a really cool book. And yes, there's confusing detail, but there's enough grounding going on and things that I understand that I was okay with it. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like it's just a matter of giving us enough, and I feel like we don't have enough here. I think it's worth restating. The submission did tackle, I think, a very difficult premise to successfully execute, and I honestly don't think they did that bad a job doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is a very difficult type of thing to convey clearly, especially, and in the beginning of a book like this is going to be even harder than a normal beginning. Yeah. Knowing how to balance it is difficult. The submission had two very similar scenes right after each other, which is what Caitlin brought up. Go to place one, have a scary vision, run away. Go to place two, have a scary vision, run away. And we don't need answers to questions like, why is this happening? What's he going to do about it in the first chapter? But those are questions we are going to be thinking, and we're more willing to put up with them. If we are grounded. We need more grounding. And I think it's the author's prerogative to decide where that is. I really liked a lot of the descriptions and I really liked the idea behind it. Oh, definitely. And I think that it's a really strong start to a book. And as soon as it's a little bit more concise and a little bit more grounded, it would be great. No, I definitely could. It's, it's not very often where I come across something that wouldn't stand to be a little bit more concise. <laughs> <Yeah>. But one thing <laughs> that counters like three concerns is this line it's colder than a snowman's derriere <laughs> so really like that one this has been literary work in progress thanks for listening revise 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 and we'll see you next week hi caitlin here If you're interested in looking at the submission that was featured in today's podcast, you can find it on our website, literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. That's 
literarywip.wixsite.com slash podcast. If you're interested in submitting your work for us to look at, you can find our submission guidelines on that same website. And we'd really appreciate it if you subscribe to our podcast in iTunes and leave us a rating and comment while you're there because it helps other people to discover our podcast. Thanks and see you next week.